Hello, Breakthrough listeners. This is Erwin, host of the November 9th Wealth Hacker Conference in Toronto with keynote by Mr. 10X himself, Grant Cardone. If you're serious about creating multiple streams of income to get freedom from your job, support your kids through school, we will be hosting an all-day masterclass for beginner to professional investors to get on the fastest path to achieving your goals. For more details, go to wealthhacker.ca and your special discount code is BREAKTHROUGH. Again, that's wealthhacker.ca for details, discount code BREAKTHROUGH. Sandy and Rob already have their tickets and we will see you all there. Hi, this is Dion Beg from Butler Mortgage. We're currently ranked the number one mortgage brokerage in Ontario and number two in Canada. And much of our success is due to the fact that we help clients acquire multiple investment properties. If you'd like to talk with a mortgage advisor who specializes in investment property, you can reach me at 888-684-8326. To learn more about what's going on in the world of investment property financing, check out episode 23 of the Breakthrough Podcast, where I discuss the topic with Robin Sandy. Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast, episode 97. Hello and welcome to the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. We put this show together to inspire you and help you break through to the life that you want to live through the power of real estate investing. My name is Rob Brake. Here with me again is Sandy McKay. Hey. How's it going, Sandy? I'm fantastic. You? I'm good. I'm good. I'm really good. I'm excited about this two-part series that we have today to share with the listeners. Uh, We're going to do part one, and we're going to cover the buy, renovate, refinance, and rent strategy. A lot of our listeners are doing this. Um, It seems to be one of those strategies that, you know, uh, is very attractive because you can sort of rinse out and repeat, I guess, pull your money back out and keep going. Um, so a lot of people do call it the buy fix refinancing strategy. So it just depends, but we're going to call it the Burr strategy today. And we've got part one, which is going to consist of, I guess, two guests. We're going to talk about the buy and the, and the renovate portions on the show today. So who better to talk about the buy than uh, Mr. Cashflow, our previous guest from a couple, a couple of times he's been on. So I'm excited to have Adrian back on today. Just say a quick welcome, Adrian. Appreciate you coming back. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me back. My pleasure. And uh, yeah, you, episodes 38 and 62, um, if anyone wants to go revisit that. I don't know if you were even using your real name back then. Uh, I don't think I was. <laughs> it was I think just I Mr. Would. Cashflow. Yeah, I think I was, we were still hiding and I was still a police officer back then. That's probably a few years ago now, right? At least four or five uh, years ago? At least yeah. three, anyways. I'm, I think it was around three years ago. Or yeah, so. definitely three yeah. for sure. So just quickly before we dive into things, I want to always recommend everyone pop over to our website, BreakthroughRAPodcast.ca. Uh, you can pick up our free report there, The Ultimate Strategy for Building Wealth Through Real Estate, which actually dives a little bit into this first strategy in that report there. You're going to get that. You're also going to get on our email list, which uh, will help keep you updated on all the episodes as they come out, uh, property tours that we're doing in our local areas, uh, events we're running, all sorts of stuff. So you want to get on that just so you don't miss out on anything. And so you, uh, you know, make sure you get uh, notified about some opportunities 
to uh, come out to some great events and, and meet us in person sometime. And last but not least, before we jump into this, we always would like to recommend that people go over to iTunes and hit the subscribe button. I know there's a lot of different ways that people get this podcast, but uh, iTunes has been very supportive. And uh, of course, you can leave a review there and that helps us out as well. So go on over to iTunes, Breakthrough REI podcast and subscribe. And uh, we'll dive right into it here. So our, our, like we said, I've got our, our first part of this series here with uh, Mr. Cashflow, Adrian Pinozo. Um, and what's going to be exciting here is we're going to dive pretty deep into the, the, the specific portions of this. We've done some bird talk before, but uh, I think we're going to get a little deeper into the, the segments of it, which should be exciting. Um, Adrian himself, he's, he's a owner of uh, Executive Properties Capital, which is an investment company, uh, works a real estate investment company that works with investors to and really their goal primarily is to help them build their own version of generational wealth uh, through partnering with, with, uh, with them and the company. So uh, they really look after uh, three main goals with, with their investor clients. So that's it's those three being building money for retirement, extra money for retirement, uh, financing their children's education in full, and, uh, and thirdly, paying off their mortgage on their personal home a whole, much, a whole bunch faster. And so uh, on this episode, we're going to dive deep into that, that first portion of the, the strategy, like we said, the buy, and, and we're really excited about it. So again, welcome, Adrian, and uh, why don't you start us off, just tell us a little bit about yourself and your own investing, uh, investing journey up to this point. All right, then. Well, thanks, Sandy, for having me back on the show. Um, as you already know, I uh, began investing in real estate nine years ago when I was a police officer. Um, working in the uh, city of Toronto and whatnot. And uh, I started buying investment properties all in the city of Hamilton um, and really focusing on multifamilies, duplexes, triplexes, um, quads, so on and so forth. And uh, through networking in Hamilton, obviously um, Sandy and I met and um, decided to go into business together a few years back now and kind of put our, uh, our strengths together. And um, since then, we've now our, started our company, Executive Capital. And we are now just uh, combined uh, properties. Uh, we're just uh, hovering around 200 units, if you will, um, which is equivalent to, I think we're just, a, I think we just hit 50 properties now, Sandy. Uh, together, um, all multifamily homes, and which is also equivalent to, believe it or not, it's hard to believe, uh, just shy of $40 million in real estate holdings that we've accumulated together um, for well, us and our jo joint venture partners that have put the trust in us to uh, uh, invest in, in partnership with buying these multifamily family homes, again, all in Hamilton. So that's kind of uh, fast forward, I guess, nine years to today and uh, where we are today. Well, first of all, let me say, Mike, that's a huge accomplishment what you guys have done there, by the way. Congratulations on that. Yeah, thanks very much. And uh, now let's talk about, because I mean, obviously there's a formula that you guys have used and perfected over the years to get there. So can you take us through the process of buying or, or I guess what you look for when you're out trying to find the perfect property to use this strategy? 
Sure. So step number one is we're out there looking for distressed properties. Um, these properties are structurally sound, which is obviously very important, uh, but they are distressed. Uh, for example, um, you know, an older couple has been living in the properties for a number of years and they haven't been able to upkeep or renovate or, um, you know, change the old knob and tube wiring, the plumbing and so on and so forth. So uh, we come along and obviously do a very thorough analysis on that property with respect to, um, you know, obviously our purchase price, then what our renovation budget is going to be on that particular project. And then ultimately a very important piece is the refinance portion at the end um, and the analysis on, you know, if we dump all this money into this house to renovate it, what is the bank going to appraise this house for at the end of the project? And that, that process is extremely important because our goal is to extract and our joint venture partners as well is to extract all of our capital including our renovation and including our 20% down payment on the house out at the end of that project. And we do that because we don't, we'd like the ability to circulate our capital into upcoming projects and upcoming opportunities that arise uh, moving forward. So we always try to keep our capital clear and free and not locked into a property um, which will obviously sooner or later, everybody is going to run out of money. If you leave 150, 200 in a property um, without extracting that. And last but not least, I would say on average, we're extracting all of our capital and our renovation budget, give or take between six to seven months, start to finish in that project. So we've always heard that the buy is the most important thing um, in that, like really you or, or one, whoever's out buying the property is really responsible for being able to understand all of the rest of the steps that come afterwards, right. In order to make an educated decision on whether or not this is the property where you'd be able to do all those things that you were just talking about. Absolutely. Um, I want to say every step in this process is extremely important if you if you if you overpay you know you could wind up at the end of that project leaving money in um, if you don't budget your renovations properly and you budget that you're going to spend fifty thousand for example on the property and you wind up spending 150 on the property now that's going to throw your numbers off at the end as well so now you're leaving money in the property and then lastly if your analysis on what the market is doing and what the new value of this place is going to be at the end. If that's off and you budget, let's say your, your numbers are saying we're going to come in at 500,000 on the refinance, but we come in at 410. Now you're leaving 90 K for example, in that project. So again, I think every step is, is, is important along the way for sure. Linked to the buy itself. Absolutely. The buy is the first one, right? So if you screw that up, you kind of, you can, you can't really hit, it's very difficult to fix a, a good, uh, a horrible buy. Yeah, I guess you can always, I mean, you know, it, unless you really blow it, there's always going to be a way to make it work out reasonably well. Although you know buy is really crucial for sure. Yeah. And, and, and I think honestly in the long run, a 
bad buy, you know, you can deal with it down the road. But I mean, for this kind of a strategy, if you're not looking, if you're not looking to just buy and hold and appreciate and maybe, you know, come out of it on the, on, on the positive note down the road, which I think that you could do if you just, you know, pulled up MLS and stuck your finger on the computer screen. Um, th this, the key to this is being able to extract that money and move on. So mm -hmm. the buy is super important. Um, do you, are you, I would imagine for you, it's kind of important to, you stick to what you know, right? Like, so Absolutely. do you try to find similar properties to purchase or, or do you look for different styles of properties or how do you, what do you do there? Our uh, niche is really the multifamily uh, homes ranging all the way from, you know, starting at a duplex, for example, all the way up to um, we we're actually diving now into multi-purpose buildings. So more of the commercial um, side of things as well, but we've done it all. We've done the duplexes and we've done up to, you know, six, eight unit, 10 unit buildings um, that we've incorporated this strategy and uh, been successful at the end of the rainbow as well. So yeah, multifamily, multi, multifamily buildings really is where our strengths lie. And if you're analyzing those, those opportunities, how do you actually do that when you're looking at a property potentially, you know, something comes across your desk or someone tells you, Hey, this is this, I found this one, or you find a property um, and you're searching, how do you look at it? Like, what are you looking at when you're before you even get to the property, what are you looking at to determine that it's an actual potential opportunity? What are the key things? I can't stress enough, uh, a very thorough analysis on the numbers, really. It, it all comes down, as we're all investors, it all comes down to the numbers, right? So we're focusing really on, again, our purchase price, our rental budget, our carrying costs, carrying and holding costs, for example, also have to be taken in consideration. And then ultimately, very, very crucial as well is, is what's this going to appraise for after we dump all this money into that? And, and that's doing a fair market analysis on the comparables that are obviously at the same level that you're bringing this property to, right? And obviously in a commercial component, it really comes down to, as opposed to residential. So if you're talking about apartment buildings, it really comes down to what's, what's the, this building now gonna generate in rents after all the rehab is done to that building. So those, again, it really, really comes down to a, a really strong analysis on the numbers. I think it would stand to reason that um, <clears throat> the property, like you could find this type of property that you're talking about. You could find it in, in, in more, more readily in a bad area, let's say, than you can in a good area. Do you, I would imagine the ones that, are in good areas obviously they always say location 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 right but can you make something like this work in the in the not so desirable areas absolutely it again you're gonna <clears throat> you're gonna fluctuate your obviously your market rents depending on the area as well um, and obviously your major 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 component is that purchase price so you're gonna really determine what the value and a good price on that home is consider, considering it's not in that AAA area. We're in a C, maybe a C minus area, that's gonna reflect obviously how we negotiate that deal. 
with the with the seller of that property. And a lot of our stuff we're finding um, we're finding off market as well. Um, we're getting a lot of leads and uh, on on properties that haven't even hit MLS that uh, you know these old folks or, or whatever they may be want to unload their properties, but they don't want to put it on and disrupt their tenants or they don't want to put it on MLS for whatever reason it may be. So we're getting a lot of opportunities that way as well. I guess it comes down to the market and the, and the rents too, right? Which can you really get decent tenants in, in those maybe not so great areas? I think every market's going to be a little different. We've had success. I know in Hamilton with, with actually getting good quality tenants in almost, almost any area, there are a couple to avoid, but it kind of depends on your, your, your market niche. What, what about getting to the property when you're at the property itself? <clears throat> so you've determined it's a good potential opportunity and then you drive over, you go, you know, you're standing at the, at the, at the street and looking at it. What are you looking for? What are the things you, the main things that are going to determine, yes, I'm going to take the next step on this place or no, this is, right. this is, this is no good. We really focus on structural components on that building, whether it is a triplex or it is a 10 unit building. Um, structurally is the structural component is a major could be a major disaster if uh, we underestimate or we overlook that. So I'm, I'm really, really keen on the structural component of the building. Um, so if that's all clear and fine and structurally it appears side strong, for example, you know, as you walk through the building, it isn't kind of all on a, on a 45 leaning to the left or to the right or whatnot. That's what I mean by structural. And um, once that's satisfied, we put together a, a very thorough budget and with respect to all the work this place is going to need. And if the numbers don't work based on, you know, how much money we have to dump into those rentals, then obviously we walk away. Um, so our analysis after the structural component is satisfied really depends on obviously, again, back to the numbers. How much are we dumping into this place? Um, you know, does it need a complete rewire? Does it need a new roof? Does it need all new windows? Typically the stuff we're buying needs, a lot of times we take it right to the shell, but again, that's in our budget. And if I can give any advice, obviously, the bigger the rental, the bigger the lift at the end of the rainbow. So, for example, if you're walking through and, you know, you're just going to change some baseboards, give it a paint job, change some light fixtures. Obviously, you know, when the appraiser walks through, they're not, you're not going to pull the wool over their eyes. For, you know, for example, they're going to ask specifically you know, what have you done here to this property? Let's walk through it. And you're going to have to explain all the improvements you've made at that property. And again, the bigger the rental, the bigger the lift at the end of that refinance. So once we have a very strong renovation budget and we're comfortable with that, we go back to running the numbers again, purchase price, rentals, refinance, and then we're able to say the numbers work or the numbers don't work based on that. So we, a lot of times we bring our contractor, our preferred contractor through, and they're actually walking through with us and taking notes and obviously giving us budgets on, hey, you're, you guys are looking at 50,000, 80,000, 100,000. So we have that, um, I guess, security or peace of mind as well. It's always a great idea to bring your contractor through and 
and even though we have all this experience in the strategy, we still to this day bring our contractor through. Does that kind of answer your question? Mm-hmm. What? Go ahead, Sandy. Do you have something else? No, no. Um, what What do your offers generally look like? So you find something like this, and you want to, you know, you're gonna you're gonna put an offer with the client, whatever. Do you have conditions? Um, are you trying to go? What does that look like? I guess let's just go there. <laughs> um, <clears throat> off market offers. Uh, obviously, we treat differently than uh, properties that are listed. A lot of these properties that are listed on the MLS, we wind up still to this day, the Hamilton market is incredibly strong. We're still in multiple offers in Hamilton, you know, every week, nothing's changed. Um, I know other markets obviously aren't as strong, but so back to properties that are on the market and we're in multiple competition, obviously we know the cleaner the offer, obviously the odds of us getting that property are better. We know we're gonna strip this property, let's say to the studs. So I'm not gonna put in a condition of home inspection if my contractor and I both feel the property structurally sound. I'm gonna exclude that home inspection condition because I know I'm taking it to the studs. So I don't need a home inspector to tell me it's filled with knob and tube wiring or so on and so forth. Um, <clears throat> so very few conditions on property that's listed. Properties that are off market our, our offers typically will have a financing condition. Um, again, we're working with a lot of joint venture partners who um, come to us and, and, and say they're ready to invest and they want to, you know, get into this partnership with our company and they need a peace of mind sometimes um, to potentially get out of the deal if something's not right or whatnot. So we'll, Typically, we'll throw in a financing condition. It's off market. We're not in competition. So we have that luxury to play with it a bit and, and secure ourselves and peace of mind for our, our joint venture partners. Maybe can you walk us through your own comfort level around that um, and, and how the offers have maybe where you are now is a very different, I would imagine, from where you were six, seven years ago in terms of comfort level with, with some, of these, some of these things, right? Can you maybe walk us through a little, maybe even a little bit on the on the decisions you made too, like early on versus now and, and when looking at buying properties, any insight on that stuff? Yeah. And, and obviously it's, it's straightforward. Like you said, my comfort level now rewind seven, eight years ago, it's, it's completely done a 360. Um, you know, our companies bought properties that and offered on properties that have been on the market for two hours. And we haven't even seen them and we're offering on these properties just completely based on the numbers that we've run. Um, without, without even seeing it. Without even seeing the property, we're offering on it and, and we're, we're, we're paying decent money on it just because the numbers still work. Would I have done that seven years ago? No. Um, some of our joint venture partners have that trust in us and allow us to do that because obviously we're always communicating with our partners on what we're doing and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, my level of comfort is completely different. We, again, the, the off market stuff, we can play a little bit more, but a lot of times we're going and clean on our offers. Um, we, 
typically direct our joint venture partners to get uh, pre-approved with their financing. So we know exactly where that approval is and we're not wasting time. We're throwing in conditions that we don't need. So if we know the client's been approved up to 900,000, you know, on, on this particular project, then we'll, we'll exclude that clause of financing because he's already been pre-approved and, you know, we're not wasting time. We're, we're trying to cover all our bases before we actually have that JV partner proceed with that project. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> uh, yeah, there was another thing too that came to mind there as you were talking about the, the pre-approval and all that. Uh, one thing, one thing, one line on the, you know, spreadsheet of, you know, not analyzing the numbers would be holding costs and, uh, and what that looks like. I think, do you analyze that a little bit too? And, and like, if a project's financeable with an A lender and what that would affect on your mortgage and, and subsequently the holding costs and, and what those numbers look like when you're running the whole, you know, the whole numbers, uh, number thing for the, for the project, you want to know that I assume, right? Is that something, Absolutely. what do you look for in a property to, to determine if it's what the financing is going to look like? So we, we do buy properties that obviously are not financeable at the start and we're, we're either raising capital um, or we're obviously going to a hard money lender and borrowing that money at eight, 10%. Um, and then depending, you know, if it's a major, major rental like that, because if the bank's not going to finance it at the purchase, it, it's usually not habitable. Um, that doesn't scare us. We, or our joint venture partners, um, we're going to just run that. We're going to run that expense of carrying that, you know, you know, let's say 400,000 at 10% interest for six months. We're going to include that in our analysis with respect to our expenses. And at the end of the day, do the numbers still work? Um, does that kind of answer your question with, with yeah, that? What, 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 will be, what will be one or two things that would make it inhabitable? What will be a couple of things there that you know for sure or a very high likelihood that you're not going to get normal financing on a conventional financing? I would say a common thing we've experienced is major water damage. Um, you know, a pipe burst in the house and flooded the last two floors or the, all floors of the house, for example. And for whatever reason, you know, it hasn't been fixed or the, you know, even the seller wants to take the insurance buyout and just wants to walk away from the property. Obviously it's completely flooded. Um, just a prime example, obviously the bank's not going to finance that because it's not habitable. Um, a property that's, um, you know, extensive mold, for example, a bank's not going to finance that. Um, situations like that, um, if the property doesn't have any kitchens in it and or all the bathrooms are gutted and all the kitchens are gutted, bank's probably not going to finance it. Um, different situations, but we've run into those. And again, if the numbers work, we'll still buy those properties again with a very, very thorough analysis. Last but not least, let's talk about what you think are some of the biggest mistakes that you see investors uh, make when they're buying, when they're looking at buying a property or when they have bought it. I think, you know, really, Working with the right professionals, when you're an investor, obviously I would more refer to people that are starting out, 
you really, I've seen them make a lot of mistakes because they're running around and I see the different agents that uh, are taking them to see properties and whatnot. And you really need to have a very strong team around you, starting with your realtor uh, and or your joint venture partner who has that experience to, from A to Z to take you down the path. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing different showings and whatnot, other agents who have absolutely, you know, zero experience in the investment world with multifamily homes, taking their, these clients out and trying to give them advice. And I just shake my head because as soon as things, and with every project, there's, there's stuff that comes up and, you know, the, the road isn't always smooth. There's always bumps in the road. And as soon as something comes up, you know, how is this? this person's on their own basically to make all these major decisions right from even just hiring the right contractor, a huge, huge component of this strategy without the good contractor on your team. And you've heard horror stories where contractors start and then they disappear and then they come back and then they take the guy's money and they disappear again. Like again, having a solid, solid team, starting from your realtor all the way to your, you know, your contractor, your mortgage broker, so on and so forth. Huge, huge, huge value in that. So really do your homework if you're a, a new investor with respect to the team you're working with and how they're gonna guide you through this. Ask your realtor, how many investment properties do you own? How many investment projects have you been through yourself personally? If they say none, probably not the realtor to work with, um, you know, and obviously do your due diligence with your contractor, right? Get your references from him, go see his jobs, talk to more than you know three, four of his clients and, and do your due diligence with him as well. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I think that's more, more of a guide um, for what they should do, um, which, is, which is probably better than the mistakes that you've seen people make anyway. Uh, no, I agree. You know, how how could someone especially like when there's such um so many details that need to be gone over as far as you know what the property can be used for how much money you're going to be able to pull out of it uh what type of rentals are needed like all of that stuff if you don't have a good team around you you're never going to be able to put those numbers together just to figure out whether the buy is a good buy or not Absolutely. Yeah, I think doing a general analysis, you know, you get a, a property worksheet off the internet or something and it tells you all the things to look for. Okay. It's the start of step one, maybe. Uh, although there's a lot, like, how do you know what this is going to cost or that's going to cost? How do you know what the use is really of the pro property? How do you know, like, how do you know all these little details without having a really great team of professionals around you? It's, it's pretty much impossible for any, you know, average person out there to, to, to know that stuff without having years and years of experience on it, working on it yourself, right? Absolutely. I kind of look at it, you know, <clears throat> you want to go to the Olympics and let's just say you want to go to the Olympics in swimming uh, competition and you want to, you obviously need a coach to get you to the Olympics, a trainer, a professional to obviously get you to that level. So when you're interviewing your trainer, your personal trainer, who's going to train you to get to the Olympics, you're going to want to know how many athletes have you trained? How many athletes that you trained 
actually made it to the Olympics, for example, so on and so forth. Like, what's your bio? What's your credentials? Like, what's your experience? And the same with real estate investing. Your team, ask every single person on your team. So you're not overpaying. Very common. You're, you overpay for the property. You know, ask, ask them what their level of experience is and how many times they've done this. You know, I can safely say after nine years and then of investing myself and then with the experience that I have and obviously with Sandy's experience as well, there's probably no scenario that we haven't experienced in nine years with real estate investing and obviously the Burr strategy that we can't navigate or we haven't navigated through. And I think that that's worth its weight in gold when you're looking for the right team and who to join venture partner with, right? You have one really bad experience, probably going to deter you from doing it again. I hope that, that answers your question. Adrian, you've been great. You've shared a lot of stuff with us today. Um, I know that everyone's going to get, you know, more out of this than they do with our typical uh, interviews where we talk to somebody about using this strategy. So thanks a lot. You know, what, Rob, can... have, let me throw one thing for everyone out there listening. And okay. Because I think it's as beneficial that, that I've seen a few people do, but maybe not enough. Just send out, if you're looking at buying a property, send us, send us, send you, Rob, whoever, send us the, send us the deal. Let us know where, what, what, what you're thinking. What does it look like? We'll have a quick review and we'll maybe air it on the show and review it sometime. That sounds good. I like that. I think we could add some value to people that way and help them make, make a decision. I might not be able to do it in the right time for you because you might need to act faster than that. Although send it to <laughs> us, we'll, we'll let you know what we think and hopefully we can help you out making decisions. Yes, that's a go ahead, buy it. No, definitely not. You know, maybe we can steer some people the right direction that way. I'm sure Adrian, Adrian would do the same if people want to reach Absolutely. out. Yeah, we'll definitely have a look at it, run the numbers with you and uh, see if we can help you out. That'd be interesting, I think. Uh, how can people get in touch with you, Adrian? Uh, shoot me a quick email, executive properties, IES, at rogers.com. Um, and then I'd love to hear from you if I can help you out or give you the right advice or potential joint venture um, in a project together. Definitely interested in that as well. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Have a great night, everybody. Thanks. Cheers. All right, see you guys. So our second guest here on part one of our first series is Lee Pollock, uh, owner of Vis Vision Construction Management, which is a construction management company based out of Hamilton and, and really works primarily with investors to help them create quality, safe rental units. And Lee's an investor himself who owns a sizable portfolio across Southern Ontario. And he's also one of the, the key members of, uh, of, of our power team here in the Hamilton area. So welcome to the show, Lee. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. And Sandy, what specifically is Lee going to be talking about today as the second part? Exactly. So the, again, just to recap, we've, uh, we've talked about the, the buy part of the, the buy, renovate, refinance, and rent strategy. And, uh, and we're going to move on now to the renovate, renovation portion. So uh, we're going to focus on construction and how to uh, handle the, the construction portion of the strategy, which is uh, really a pretty key part. Um, one that I think a lot of people have some challenges with, right? Definitely. You know, when I, when I normally, when I'll ask the guests, um, the type of challenges that they've run into, because I can relate so much on a construction level to that question. That's always what I expect the answer to be. 
And most times it's not. Most times it's, uh, you know, they'll talk about financing or, I mean, we'll get to all these things too. But, um, or they'll talk about, you know, I don't know, emotional stress or, or you know, uh, overcoming their fear to get into it. But, you know, there's, there's something to be said for this practical element here that really needs to be focused on and, and you need to understand and get somebody who understands working with the city all those kind of things in order to avoid those challenges or at least the best you can when you run into those challenges get around them and so lee i'm really happy to have you here to talk about these things today because i think it's super important so thanks for being here yeah oh thank you thank you thanks for having me you know when i first uh when i first started investing in hamilton and uh this is probably going back maybe five years ago uh six at the most my biggest challenge was getting caught up with uh, contractors and trades and trying to manage projects while having a full-time job. Um, you know, contractors falling short with budgets and timelines and just generally not even finishing the job and having to switch contractors halfway through. Uh, there was a, a, a short period where I went on a buying frenzy and, um, you know, Sandy sold me a full whack of houses uh, but I got stuck with, I think, about four or five projects, and I didn't have anybody to work on them. Um, I ended up hiring my own guys and slowly started building a, a crew of people. And, you know, flash forward today, you know, I'm still buying my own real estate, but working with uh, investors with my own construction company. And um, we've built up, uh, I think we're, we're just, we're right around the 20, 20 employee mark right now. And things are going, things are going very strong. Well, that's good to hear. Let's go back and and talk about how you got into real estate investing. What got you interested in it? Uh, that would be uh, Adrian Pinozo and brought me up to Hamilton. I did my first project with him uh, back in, I want to say 2014. We did a very successful um, very successful four-unit project. Uh, Sandy sold it to us, uh, the one on West. And, um, you know, after that, I was, I was just hooked. So I kept, uh, I kept going, I kept buying projects on my own and, um, you know, working with, uh, working with Sandy and, and his team and, uh, you know, then building up my own, uh, my own portfolio and then eventually off to my own, my own construction company. I was going to say five, five years, five years later, I, you know, I think last count we're up to, uh, I'm up to about 60, just over 60 doors now. Fantastic. And Not so, all in Hamilton, right? You do have some others in, in a few other uh, markets. Um, I have a I have a small building in uh, in Wellands, but primarily it's you know aside from the building in Welland, everything is in uh, everything is in Hamilton. Timelines and true and honest uh, budgets. So the timelines might not be exactly what the clients want to hear with you know the two to three months, but we're a little bit more realistic with them. Uh, we're more realistic with the budgets and uh, we seem to be getting the jobs done within the timelines and, and budgets. So I think that that's a really good thing. Um, <clears throat> that's something that you pointed out there specifically in that a lot of contractors will just take on job after job after job and not, not try to figure out how they're going to complete all the work. That's sort of the least of the worries, just getting that person locked in and working with them seems to be the most important thing for a lot of them. A lot of contractors take uh, you know, a hefty deposit up front on, you know, let's say a $100,000 contract. Some of these guys want 
you know, 20, 30, 40% up front uh, before they even touch, uh, you know, touch the walls type of thing. We're not doing that. We do, um, you know, if your project is going to be, you know, for argument's sake, four months, which is 16 weeks, we take bi-weekly payments spread over the 16 weeks. Uh, and we don't take a payment until we start. Um, and it seems to be working that way, uh, which is good for us. It's good for the client. They're not putting out too much risk with, uh, with dollars up front. Uh, we're not holding their money and using it to fund somebody else's project. We have uh, a network of people, trades that we're working with. We do everything exclusively in-house, um, and we work with the same electrician. We work with the same plumber. We work with the same HVAC. We work with the same roofer. So we're working with the same group of people, and we're keeping them essentially busy you know, full-time for the most part, which is working really well. And everything is basically boiled down to we have it set apart in, uh, in three phases of construction. So right to the point where we know, um, the client will know and we know before we start exactly what materials are needed and everything's ordered essentially up front. Uh, Lou, why don't you give us a, an overview of what your projects generally look like? What, what's the timeline kind of consist of and how does your team, how do you ensure that the construction is done on time and on budget because on time and, and budget really time is the one that I think a lot of people struggle with. Um, and, uh, and as an investor, right, if you're buying a project, some of the contractors, the conversations I've had as well, we're only a, a month late. It's not a big deal. A month late is a month of rent potentially. Right. And if you're talking about a three or four multi-unit property, it's, it's rent on multiple units. So we're talking about thousands of dollars of lost income, right? So it's a pretty important thing to, to nail some the timelines. How do you ensure that that happens, that you stick on the, on the timelines? Well, we stick to a schedule, basically. Um, so, you know, for us, a typical project, if, we, if we're going in, we, we, we found that rather than try to patch walls and um, save the existing sort of, you know, garbage that's in the house. We found, uh, we found that it's easier and faster uh, from a construction standpoint just to basically get everything completely out of the house, right down to the brick wall, start with new framing, um, all new electrical, all new plumbing, all new HVAC, uh, all new insulation, uh, all new vapor, vapor barrier, everything's done. Um, we also find it easier actually to work with permits um, that way we're not dodging the city. Um, you know, that way we're not, uh, we don't have a risk of getting caught with, which uh, delays projects, causes stress and aggravation for the contractor and the investor. Um, you know, and there's obviously, there's, there's ways to do things afterwards with, uh, you know, potential units and basements and lofts and stuff. Um, but we found that if we are sticking to that type of schedule, then things flow much, much easier and we can stick to a schedule. And the reason for that is simply that we're using all new materials. We're not taking new materials and trying to uh, mash them up to old materials, which have a lot more uh, labor intensive man hours to put like a door on a frame in. You know, we're not cutting doors, we're using pre-hung doors. We're using, uh, you know, trim that we're basically cutting to size and slapping them on new construction. So new construction is far easier. You're also getting a better product, a better finish, um, and everything is going to last much longer. 
Um, and so, and how did you come up with that? Like, how did you, did you have some struggles with that yourself in the past, I guess? Is that, is that how you decided on that or what made you decide to go that route? And I guess you obviously must have to convince some clients, I guess, to, to do that. Would that be uh, something that's all your, all the clients want to do? Um, we actually had two projects running simultaneously that started, uh, within two weeks from one another. One project was, it didn't need to be gutted. It was, uh, it was a lot of patchwork and repair work. Uh, we had to take down some existing walls because everybody wants open concept. But what we found was the other project was, uh, was a distress project. Um, nothing could be saved. Everything had to be completely removed. And that project actually got finished sooner. And I think the reason for that was because, you know, to get in and, and frame a, a house, um, and frame it to spec, you know, to drawings, um, you know, put in your new LBLs and go that route was a lot quicker, um, even putting up the drywall, all brand new drywall, than, you know, taping, you know, old plaster to new drywall and not being happy with the finish. And, you know, some of the guys that, uh, that are, are doing the patchwork, um, you know, they take pride in their work. So what they'll do is they'll spend, you know, on a day trying to butt joint two seams together and it ties up it ties up a lot of man hours. So I think if I remember correctly, the, the project that we um realized was back to back with the one that was sort of like a patch for repair job, uh got finished almost uh three weeks faster. And and really the cost savings between the two, or I should say or I shouldn't say the cost savings, but the difference in cost wasn't that great. Um you're talking about you know, minimal amount more materials. Um, the labor was actually the same. The client paid a little bit more for materials. So a little bit more in drywall, a little bit more in lumber. Um, other than that, you know, both jobs had to be all new electrical, uh, all new plumbing. Uh, but again, there's, there's a lot more man hours when you're talking about working with older materials and trying to salvage what's there. Well, I guess, especially if you're doing all new electrical and all new plumbing and things like that, like if that's what you're doing anyways, then I mean, to try and get that stuff through the walls and then patch it up is, is a, it, it's never going to look quite right doing all that patchwork. It doesn't look right. It takes longer to do. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, I'm most, I'm always not happy with the results and I know the homeowners aren't happy with the results and, we just kind of slough it off and, and usually say, you know what, it's, it's a rental property. We don't have to live there. And, and it's okay for some of the houses where they're not that bad. But in my experience, the majority, a lot of these houses in Hamilton, um, and exceptionally all the ones that work, we're working on currently, they're all 100% guts. We're taking them right down to the brick now. Well, thanks, Lee. Now, we're trying to get some golden nuggets here for our listeners as far as the renovate portion goes of the BRR strategy. So what do you think are the key things that investors should look for when hiring a company for renovating? Um, really to work with a management company, uh, somebody that has, you know, everything at their disposal. So somebody who has access to, you know, all areas of, of construction, not just, uh, you know, not, not that, not just electrical, not just, you know, plumbing that they really work with, 
you know, an in-house team that they don't have to sub things out like painting. They don't have to sub things out. The more you have to subcontract out, the less control you have over, over everything because you're, you're working with other people's schedules and timelines, which means you're working with potential delays and potential people not showing up. Um, and then also there's the workmanship on top of it. You can't control what, what you don't have in-house. So that's the one thing that uh, I think people should look for. You know, if you're working with a, a contractor, most contractors subcontract most stuff out. Um, property or sorry, construction management companies, they actually manage everything in-house. So it goes back to what I said. We, we do everything in-house except for electrical and except for plumbing. And the reason why we're not doing uh, plumbing is because we're doing, uh, we've really switched and we're, we're promoting to, to work with everything on, on permits. Um, and we do need to pass inspections for that. And, what, what do you think about uh, people's ability to work with the city? Is that something that is important too? Like, I know it is, but absolutely. how important is it, I guess? Oh, extremely important. Um, the city can stop you. They can essentially, uh, you know, hold you up. You know, everybody has a, a bad taste in their mouth with, you know, pulling permits. There's, there is added costs for sure. Uh, you know, you have your architectural, you have your engineering, you have your, your permit fees and everything. Um, and it is a more upfront cost, but I, I've proven a point where that cost is actually saving you money with potential, um, potentially getting shut down on these projects with orders to complies or stop work orders. You know, there's also the fact too, that if you have to order 300 sheets of drywall for a house, you can have it delivered at two o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon on your front lawn and you don't have to worry about it where you're not bringing, if you're working without, without permits and without the city, you know, you got to start, you know, bringing these sheets of drywall in at nighttime on weekends. It slows, it slows a project down big time, which is further delays. And trust me, regardless of whatever time you bring it in, somebody's sneak, like peeking through their curtains. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing I like too about working with permits is, and this, this almost always never gets brought up, but to any investor, to any client that's hiring a contractor, that contractor cannot go to the next stage unless he passes that inspection. So that investor or that client should have, um, should know that they're, they're being protected by the city as well because their plumbing is being tested. You know, structurally that house has to be solid. The insulation, the vapor barrier, you know, everything involved in construction has to be passed by these inspectors. Um, Lee, because you've done it, I know you've done a bit of both. You've, you've, you've kind of started out finding your own trades um, and basically being a, a general contractor almost yourself on your own projects. Uh, what do you recommend for people going, maybe a first time person or even someone a little more experienced? Do you recommend they hire full construction management companies? Are they better off doing it on their own? Um, how, how would you recommend people go about handling that and those options? Um, so that's uh, it's kind of a little bit of a hard question to answer just because at the end of the day, everybody's different, right? You might have somebody that, uh, that's investing and in buying a project that doesn't have a full-time job and maybe this is what they want to do. They want to take this one project and manage it themselves and, 
you know, uh, hire their own trades and, and so forth. And, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with doing that. Um, but there is absolutely a learning curve to doing that. Um, and it's not the fastest way. And it's contrary to what people believe. It's actually not the least expensive way to do things. Um, most clients and most investors that I know and that I work with and all of my JV partners, um, they're all employed and they can all, um, they, they really don't want anything to do with the construction. So they hire, um, you know, they hire a construction management company and they basically just, you know, pass the reins over and say, get it done. Um, I would always recommend for an investor looking to get their money back and move on to the next project and start collecting, you know, rental income. That is the best way to do it. Let's talk finally uh, about the biggest mistakes that you see investors making as far as renovations go. Oh boy. Um, (laughs) The biggest mistakes I see people making. um, One is when they try to do things themselves. That's, that's one. Um, I guess the other thing too, it goes back to what Sandy just asked and that's when they try to GC the projects on their own. Uh, I see too many investors and clients, fail at that and then they halfway through a project they start looking for a contractor to come in and pick up the pieces or a construction management company to pick up the pieces um you know clients and investors have to have to realize that this has become uh, a full-time business and this is what we do full-time seven days a week and we have set contracts in place with our electricians we have set contracts in place with our plumbers and our HVAC, you know, contractors, and we know what they're doing. And we, we essentially hold the warranty for everything. So if we're working with the same people, the clients are automatically protected under our company. Um, so that I find is a mistake as well, where clients will work with too many different people. And when something goes wrong, um, the fingers start getting pointed at whose responsibility it is. And I see that time and time again uh, in the construction industry where, you know, you're bringing in two different electricians, two different plumbers, uh, two different contractors, and everybody's pointing the finger and the clients at the end of the day are left with a big mess. Let's talk finally about the biggest mistake you ever made as far as renovations go. Um, biggest mistake I ever made was, I guess back uh, when I first started this and I first started working with contractors was um, working with a contractor and doing exactly what I just said, which was trying to speed a a project up by bringing in my own people uh, when a contractor had that contract. So, you know, to, to speed him along, I would try to hire a painter or try to hire a tile guy uh, or try to bring my own plumber in. Um, and even though I thought I was trying to help the situation by push the project forward, it actually pulls a project back. Um, so that was, I, I, I've made that mistake. I see some clients, you know, still try to do that. Um, we work it out, but that definitely was a mistake. The other mistake that I made too was, uh, I took on too many projects at once. Uh, for myself at the time, um, and that can get frustrating as well. I mean, I made, I came through it. It worked out very well, um, but I think everybody has a different appetite for for stress, 
uh, and you know what they want to handle. So everybody has a different comfort comfortability level with how many projects they want to take on. And at the end of the day, you know we're still, I guess, a mid-size construction company. We're we're absolutely trying to go and grow and, and take on more work, um, and we're going to get there. But right now we're, you know, we're we're running we're running pretty pretty you know we're running pretty tight. Let's talk about finishes. Do you? Because I mean, the next the next portion of our buy, fix, refi, and rent is um, is the uh, <laughs> refi portion. So, what types of finishes should we be using to get the best? Like, I mean, I know it's sort of it's it's almost a silly question in that. Well, of course, if you use the higher uh, finishes, you're going to get a higher refi. But let's just say then, what what things should we focus on? to get the best refi? Um, so when we, do, when we do our projects, what we've learned and uh, what I've learned is most likely, yeah, they do look at finishes for sure, but it really boils down to, um, it boils down to a lot of things. It boils down to your, your floor plans, it boils down to units, uh, your unit configuration, and also the square footage of the actual project you're buying as well. Um, we have a standard that we use for every single house and it's worked very well with us. So we don't use a, you know, we're not using like the, the, the low end stuff, but we're also not at the high, high end. We're using a, a nice finish that uh, all our clients seem to like, the appraisers seem to like as well. And also very importantly, the tenants seem to like, so there's no issues with the, the, the units that we're finishing. Um, they get rented almost right away. So we're using the same, laminates you know we're using the same casings the same doors the same tiles the same bathtubs um you know it's almost uh it's almost become like a like a standard like a standard home that people are buying now everything is really the same same finish across the board right down to the same colors on the walls why don't why don't you go because uh, for the for for uh listeners or our viewers here that are watching you're actually in one of your finished or almost finished projects? Why don't you just have a, maybe at the kitchen or something, we can have a quick look and, and you can talk about- Yeah, let me just go walk do down the stairs here. That also helps too, by the way, when you have your finishes all picked out, um, you don't have to think about things, which helps speed the process along. So for us, we have everything on a, uh, on a pre-order sheet. So we just really write down the square footage and the linear footage that we need of whatever it is we need at the time. And we send it off to, uh, to our supplier and it gets shipped out almost, uh, almost the next day. We don't have to wait to go and, you know, pick things out and wait for homeowners to go pick things out. But let me just flip this around. So this is a house that we just finished. Actually, I'll show you guys the foyer first. Hold on. This is a, uh, this is essentially a five unit, uh, semi detached, uh, that's 3,700 square feet. Okay. Uh, can you guys see it? Yeah, we can yeah. see it. It looks great. So this was, um, we kept a lot of the old stuff, a lot of the old charm because you can't replicate that anymore. And we just kind of made it flow, like all the old trim and stuff. Um, we'll take you into unit number one. And that's sort of like a standard floor that we use for everything. We painted the uh, fireplace walls, uh, put up some fancier sort of light fixtures uh can you guys see the kitchen yeah we can see it, it looks good i like it <clears throat> that's a standard uh that's a standard kitchen that we use 
So really it's a standard in every single project. Uh, it's a standard quartz countertop that we use as well. A uh, little bit of, of an upgrade on the light fixtures, but we have all the standard uh, slimline pot lights in the ceilings. And now let me just ask you, um, I, so for the, uh, I see that you're not quite done the project yet, but there is uh, no appliances except for the microwave there. I guess you got, do the, I guess it's, the, the tenants aren't expected to put in the appliances or are they provided by the landlord? Well, we, we put the appliances in, but the clients obviously pay for it. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. standard, standard bathroom tiles that we go with. Uh, we always tile the bathroom ceilings. Uh, Got a light in there bathroom. too. I'd say that's yeah, definitely well, that's definitely above mid level for sure. You know, I, I think it looks really good, and so that gives people an idea of. So for those of you who couldn't see what, what Lee was showing us, you know, you could hear we've got the quartz countertop. We've got uh, some nicer tile, nicer light fixtures, not just the standard, you know, uh, box contractor packs or anything like that. Um, they all have, there's crown everywhere. I'd say that's definitely higher than a, a mid-level finish for sure. When you're talking about rental it is. We, we also always finish the stairs. So I don't know if you can see the stairs there. Yeah, we cap uh, we cap the stairs with treads and risers. Sometimes we build the staircase. We always put, you know, the nicer railings with the um, wrought iron uh, wrought mm. iron tickets and everything on there as well. And we find that um, it just gives it a little bit more of a wow factor when you walk in and you see the nice dark stained stairs and the the black wrought iron tickets. Okay, so that that right there is actually even just the hallway of the building, right? Like that's, that's not even right, one yeah. of the units. If you can see down, that's just Very all nice. common area. Mm -hmm. Okay, Lee, well, um, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, yeah, you guys can give me a shout uh, at 416-525-5951. I'm happy to talk to anybody or, you know, answer any questions. I don't, uh, if I don't answer, I'm probably on a job site. Uh, so just send me a text message and I'll give you a shout right back. Sounds great. Okay, thanks for sharing everything with us today, Lee. Awesome. Thanks, Lee. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Have a good day. You too. You too. Bye, guys. Bye, Rob. Yeah. Bye, Sarah. Yeah.